Hello and welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. My name is Dane Miller and we're here to teach you how to build a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to talk about is being a good team member. So what does this mean? How do you be a good team member in a web development environment? Well, you're either working as a front-end developer or a back-end developer or an intern or an apprentice to one of those or a DevOps person or an infrastructure person or an IT person or even a project manager, product owner, product manager. If you're working in any of those, with the I, I will let's exclude the project management and the product management roles because those I think are a little bit different. If you're working in any of those sort of lower level development roles, and we're not talking about a system architect, we're not talking about a director of engineering, an engineering manager, VP of engineering, we're not talking about those roles. If you're working as a front end, back end, intern, apprentice, any of those types of roles at any level, other than obviously director type levels, executive levels, what you wanna keep in mind is that communication is so paramount, guys being a good communicator. And it's not something that you have to necessarily change the way that you are to do. Being a good communicator can be boiled down to the following statement. Summon the right words out of the ether. Like that is really what communication is all about. You might be an introvert person and you might speak softly and quietly. And that's fine, that's not what I'm talking about. But when you're not a good communicator, you will fail. I, I, I do not think that you will succeed to climb the ladder of different jobs and hop around to different things that interest you if you're not a good communicator. And if you want to excel and grow in your career, you really need to be. So what you want to keep in mind is as you go about your career, you're going to be presented with these different moments. An example of this might be you're at a meeting one day and you're really tired. It's a daily stand-up. It's 4 or 5 p.m., uh, maybe you're a remote worker, you're at home, you're kind of tired. Oh man, that is a recipe for bad communication, right? You're at home by yourself. Maybe the spouse is out for some reason. Um, you're tired, you, you're under-caffeinated, uh, you're really overworked. It's 5 p.m. on a Friday. Oh man, are you either really excited or really perturbed? And you're probably, you know, there, there's instances, what I'm getting at is there's instances in which your communication is not going to be ideal because of situational pressures or situational reasons. You might be ill health. Like there could be any number of reasons why you might not choose to be a good communicator. You might be kind of passive, kind of reserved in your communication. You might say, less than you need. Let's say uh, you're on the meeting and, and the team manager might ask you a question. Maybe it's the project manager. He might ask you, how's that feature coming along? If you just say, good, what does that mean? What, what does that even mean? You need to be a better communicator. You have to summon, literally, you guys, you have to summon it out of the, the bottom depths of your stomach. It can be the most torturous thing because I'm an introvert and I know exactly what it's like. Being a good communicator does not come naturally to me, and I I don't even think of myself as a good communicator yet, but I'm learning. And what you have to do is in those moments, sit there and think to yourself, if I was directly responsible for another individual at this job and they said that to me, what, what that would not be acceptable. What would I want them to say? And then just say that. So for instance, you might the the project manager comes to you and says, 
you know, how's that feature going uh, for the sprint? I know you were kind of stressed about it yesterday. Um, how, how, how do you think it's going? If you just say good, that's fine. But again, that's not communicating effectively. What if you instead said, you know, I'm having some trouble with it. I could use some help uh, in this area, but I'm not sure if there's anybody even on the team that could that could provide that type of assistance or that type of help. Let's say, you know, I we're new to React and we're trying to work it out, but I'm having some trouble understanding it. It's really causing me to spin my tires or spin my wheels in this area. Um, say that. Like literally guys say that, remove your ego and say what is truly actually happening. You have to be extremely verbose. You have to be extremely factual. You have to be extremely relevant and real in the, in these types of environments, especially with remote distributed teams. If everybody acts exactly like I just said, they're verbose, they're overly communicative, they're extremely realistic, they're extremely um, blunt the the team will thrive man i i'm telling you guys the team will thrive if everybody is a little bit reserved and kind of passive and kind of like you know a little they they say one word answers and that type of thing their mystery abounds like i mean in, in a remote team mystery will boil to the surface like a goddamn mystery novel like you <laughs> do not doubt the amount of intrigue that can be created by the human brain when uh not enough communication is in the mix. And we've all heard throughout our entire lives, the people that say less are the more wise. And that's true for life, guys. But this is remote team on a remote team in a distributed environment with management and development cycles that are very fast, sprinting very quickly on a, on a high-scale startup. You can't do that, guys. You cannot do that. You have to communicate effectively, efficiently, and you have to communicate a lot like not you don't have to talk a lot you don't have to be a motor mouth but you need to say what needs to be said and you can't have any anxiety about it if you do say it anyway if you have the anxiety this is this is where a little bit of that personal responsibility and manning up or womaning up comes into play because uh and there's actually a great quote where i, I don't, can't remember who said it but there's a great quote where it's like if you don't have the word summon them, and I always think that to myself, and that, that's, I guess, why I've used the word summon a couple of times here, because I, I always think that when I'm in a meeting and I'm really tired and I just don't want to communicate, it's about this complicated project that involves five teams and I was just working on another feature and it was for a completely different thing and now my head is thrown into this other project or this other thing, what can you do? You could close up right? Like you, sh you could shut off. Like that's what a lot of people do. They get overwhelmed. Boom. They close up. They shut down. They, they, they go quiet. They barely communicate at all. You need to be the opposite. When you get overwhelmed, you need to man up or woman up and basically explode from, the, from your shell and not close up in any way. Like, so you need to communicate in that moment, summon the courage and summon the words, choose the words the best that you can, because words really are all your currency in a remote distributed environment. And even a lot of these principles, I would say, are equally important in a, in a in-person environment. I mean, I don't think this applies just to distributed teams. This applies to being in person as well. Having this type of ability to communicate just as a low rank team member is going to get you noticed a lot. So for instance, if you're an intern or an apprentice, and you're learning from somebody, and you're asking questions, you're asking good questions, you're communicating effectively, uh, you're, be, you're given a large amount of work. Let's say you're given 
um, uh, more work than you can accomplish. You're having to learn at home so that you can execute the work that you were given that day, the next day, because it's so intense. In those moments, it's very easy to feel overwhelmed. In those moments, it's very easy to shut down and perhaps not communicate well. But it's in those moments that you can change how people around you perceive you. So if at that same time, in, in that exact same space, you're, you're that overwhelmed, you summon the courage and you communicate well and you communicate effectively and you execute on the tasks that you have to do. You don't have to be a superstar, but you execute on what you have to do. You will get noticed by your mentor, your, you know, whatever it is, just the boss, whatever. And the good thing about development, guys, is it's a little bit different than other industries. When you're being promoted from a low-level position to a high-level position in other industries, there's sometimes politics involved. So, for instance, if you're trying to go from an executive role to another executive role, good lord, that's different. That is totally different. Even if you're trying to go from a project management role to a senior project management role or a larger distributed team project management role, that is very different than development. And the, the real secret that I'll give to leveling up as a developer, like I said, is, is really just learn more and you will earn more. And this is true in all industries that, that's got to be said. But at the same time, it's a little bit different. You know, because in those executive roles, there's politics that get involved. Even as a project manager, yes, the more you learn, the more you earn, but it's different. It's not as black and white. As a developer, it's very black and white. Like, last year I could do these things. This year I can do these things plus 20 or these things plus 10 or with better code, better skills, better knowledge, better wisdom. Um, I can do these architectural things. I can do these infrastructure things. I can do these operational things. Your pay will go up with the amount of things that you learn. It's directly correlated, one-to-one -one correlation. And the only caveat to this is your communication can kill this. That's the only caveat. It's a one-to-one -one relationship. How much you learn, how much you earn. The only thing that has to go along with that is communication. The more you learn, the more you have to communicate effectively. And it's a direct it's a line straight up, guys. It's a direct increase all the way up, diagonal line all the way up. And if you fail to communicate, you will not earn more. You can learn more, but you won't earn more unless you communicate effectively. Nobody wants to promote somebody that's not a good communicator, not a good team player. Trust me. Okay, so moving on to the next thing. How can we be better team leads to help enable people below us? So let's, and this doesn't only apply to people at a high level, guys. You could be doing this and you don't even realize it. So for instance, do you have, are you a, um, a front-end developer that's been working at a company for about two years or a year or six months and you, and you just hired another one that just started today? Boom, you're the one that they're learning from. So this applies to you. What I'm saying applies to you. It's not just directors of, you know, managers. That's not what I'm saying here. Anybody that's working below you in any capacity, it doesn't matter if you're their boss or not. What you want to do is you want to be a good lead for them. And this is really important in development. I got to say, you know, watching programmers work is really interesting. You know, there's this common uh, sort of juxtaposition where we say there's either Mr. Right or there's Mr. Right now. And these are two different types of programmers. That's a fun juxtaposition, and, and we could go into that. Um, and you want to be able to bounce back and forth between them. But what you'll find is that people land in one of these two categories if they aren't self-conscious, right? If you're self-conscious, 
usually you'll find that the programmer bounces back and forth and that's that's great and probably that person will get promoted that's a successful person but if if you're always mr right if you just graduated from school and you're academic as hell and you're always mr right here's the 10 abstractions that we need to add here's the design pattern that we need to do for this i'm not going to accept anything but this this is what we have to do to this it's like that's great and we all appreciate that type of mentality but you have to temper it not everything in life is black and white Everything is gray as hell. So you have to temper that mentality just a bit. Be Mr. Right now, not so much Mr. Right. If you're all Mr. Right now, be a little bit more Mr. Right. Whatever you are, be a little bit of the opposite, except bad. Don't be bad. But whatever you are on that scale, be a little bit of the opposite. So if you're always Mr. Right, what does that look like? If you're always the person that can create the prototype really quickly, but can't get the code in product into production without like thousands of errors or whatever that's mr right now meaning they're able to get it done like right now right the second and it's probably shitty and it doesn't work well and it's filled with bugs and edge cases and you're probably not playing the role of mr right mr right would think hard he would think deeply he would be like okay what edge cases are going to occur that's how mr right thinks you need to be a little bit more of that if you're all Mr. Right Now, because trust me, we love Mr. Right Now's too from a leadership perspective. We love people that act like that, but you gotta be both. You, you can't be one or the other. I'm telling you, if, if you're one or the other, that's fine, but you will get fired. I, I, I'm telling you right now, it's the easiest thing to fire somebody for is to be too much Mr. Right Now or too much Mr. Right, because here's why. Too much Mr. Right Now bugs and bugs everywhere. That's just the way it is. Things get done then they break and that's just the way it is and you're putting patches on patches on patches on patches for years if, if you're only fit a team only with mr right now's if you're a team full of mr rights what happens is nothing ever gets done you have the most advanced system in the history of the world you have the most thought through optimal design patterns used the most extremely academic algorithms used possible but nothing ever ships and if it does ship it's massive and it's it might work, but it, it still might have some bugs because it's so complicated and convoluted that nobody understands it. No single developer can keep it in their head. So you have Mr. Right, Mr. Right Now. They both have cons, as you can see, big ones, fireable cons. You gotta be both. You gotta you gotta play both roles. And this is this is really important because being a team lead for another developer below you, it, this is how you show them what culture you have so culture is a big topic and and it has tons of different um tent you know tent, uh, tentacles that come out of it like we could talk about any hundred different things that help build a culture but one of them is the mr right mr right now dichotomy and i'm telling you now this isn't i'm not making this up i i've seen this five plus times at individual companies on different teams the this is a big significant factor in the culture it is. I'm telling you, please believe me. Please believe me. If you, for instance, I'm sure you've had friends that worked at companies that have said things like, oh, we never have time to do any maintenance. We're always putting out, or sorry, we don't ever have time to make the product better because we're always putting out fires. Or we don't have time to do, um, you know, any long-term projects because we're always doing short-term projects that's a sign of a company full of too many mr right nows that have done things in the past that were too quick and then they put patches on patches on patches that led to years of putting out fires or months of putting out fires non-stop that's a bad sign 
So what you want to do is you want to be able to approach these and that that's what happens. That That's a bad culture. The reason I'm saying that, guys, is because that's a bad culture. You don't want to be in that culture. You want to be able to go home at the end of the night and know, okay, the code in production is working. It's running. It's going to be optimal. It's, it might not be perfect, but it's not going to crash. And, and you know, I know for a fact I'm not going to be waking up at 8 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m., midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., opening my laptop digging into the console and logs and like trying to debug fires every day or or even once a week. You know, if you're doing this once a week, that's fine. But if you're doing it two or three times a week, or you have developers on your team that are like specifically operational guys that are constantly putting out fires, this is bad. I mean, this might seem normal, but it's bad. I'm telling you it's bad. And I've worked at companies where that's not the case. Um, when you get to a certain scale, though, I will say you do need people full time on on what we call production support. That's fine. That's a totally different topic. That's not what we're talking about here. Here we're talking about a smaller team or some sort of team of any size where uh, you have some people that are putting out fires when they don't need to be. And the fires are caused by too many Mr. Right decisions. And it's very easy to, to see the difference for that. So anyway, that's sort of the cons of what can happen when you don't have this type of uh, understanding of this dichotomy. So as a team lead, not just a team lead, but as a lead of anybody, understand this dichotomy, understand it in everything that you do. So what are some actionable things that you can do from this? Well, every meeting that you have, right? Like every time that you have to sit down with the people that are below you, if you're a front-end developer and you've been working there for a year and this new guy joins, and let's say you want he wants to shadow you for a week. Perfect. So he sits next to you. You guys pair code for like a week to learn. As he observes you, he's going to be observing and picking up cultural cues. So he's learning things about how the culture there works. It's your job, it is literally your job, not anybody else's job, to teach him the most optimal way to do everything and do it with patience and care. But you also want to show him that you're a company filled with people that are exactly in the middle of Mr. Right and Mr. Right Now. How can you do that? So let's say you're debugging this problem in production and you're trying to evaluate... um, no, actually, let's not do that. Let's say you're developing a new feature and there's some complex algorithm that needs to be used. So what you do is you might write your tests. Um, that's showing him that you're Mr. Right. Then you might write uh, the algorithm. You might write it in a prototype way first. That's showing him you're also Mr. Right now. So you don't do the most advanced thing first. You do the simplest thing first. So write the algorithm simply. Then you might test it in the browser. Uh, that's showing him you're Mr. Right. Then you might uh, go in, go back and say, think through with him, think out loud edge cases. This is showing him you're Mr. Right. So do you get what I mean? You're constantly bouncing back and forth, Mr. Right now, Mr. Right, Mr. Right now. And as you do this, the product will take shape around you and the pro- the feature will be developed fast and efficiently. And then also you're rubbing off on this new person. You're, you're being a great lead. You're being a great mentor. And you're also teaching him that the culture is filled with people that care, but also care about getting shit done. They care, but they care about getting shit done. We care about quality. Quality is important, and it's almost hard. It's hard to say which is more important, getting shit done or quality. It's. I think it's almost impossible to put one over the other. They're both equally important. If you're not doing one, though, the other one fails. 
That's just the way it is. So I think using these sort of tips and this sort of thinking framework that I've given you, you could probably approach um, mentoring a new a new developer that's joining your team more effectively. I, I just want you the one takeaway, and this is a good thing to keep in mind, guys. Whenever you're listening to a piece of audio content or podcast or reading a book, just try to take one takeaway, right? You could come away with hundreds of notes. That's great. I take notes all the time, but if at the very least you get one takeaway, one golden nugget from everything that you listen to, imagine, just think about that for a minute, guys. Think about how many podcasts you listen to. Everybody that's listening to this, I know you listen to podcasts. If you got one golden nugget that changed your life or had some kind of practical application in your job, career, health, wealth, money, happiness, whatever it was, if you just had one golden nugget from everything that you listened to, you would be an absolute beast. You would be completely unstoppable. So this episode, I'm going to tell you the golden nugget. It is the dichotomy of Mr. Right versus Mr. Right Now. The more time that you can spend considering what you're being and which 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 area of this dichotomy you fall on and how you can nudge yourself a little bit more to the left, a little bit more to the right to get in the middle, the more you will succeed and the more your team members will no- notice and the more your team will succeed because they're going to start changing around you. Again, you have to be the change that you want to see in your organization. You can sit and complain all you want. Go to lunch with your, I've done this at many companies. I've seen this happen. People go to lunch with team members and they complain about the organization. They complain about process, development speed, project managers not understanding, too much scope, too much QA process, not enough QA process. You can complain for your entire life, guys, but it's not what's going to fix it. You got to start. You have to start. It doesn't matter if you're the lowest on the totem pole. It doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter. If you go on Quora, you can read threads of people acting this way. They'll post things like this. They'll, they'll say, and this is a good learning lesson. I'm not making fun of these people. I have no judgment. This is a good learning lesson for you and me because that's what we're here to do. We're here to observe everything else, take in what we can, experiment with what works, find out what doesn't, scrap it, move on, become more successful than everybody else. That's the goal. Like that's why we're here, right? That's why we're sharing this knowledge and doing this. We want to be more successful than everybody else. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to this. You wouldn't care to better yourself. So one way that we can do it, go on Quora, read these threads of these people that ask these questions. They'll say things like, my manager wants me to constantly be um, moving quickly. He wants me to be uh, developing features and he keeps adding scope to every sprint. So every sprint, we lock it at the beginning of the week and then they'll add a bunch of features and they'll always wonder, why can't we finish the features that we've promised every week and they don't understand? So that's one common kind of complaint. Another one might be that they're moving so quickly that they can't do any long-term projects. So like we're doing so many short-term projects that we can't do any long-term fixes. The system isn't optimal. And the reason for that and the reason for all the bugs isn't because of me. It's because we can't do any long-term maintenance. That might be true, guys, but these are scenarios, these are things said by losers. I'm being super blunt, but this is the the reality of the situation here is these are statements said by losers. Don't be one of these people. And if you've said stuff like this, join the club. I have too, right? But we learn, we grow, and we become better. So these are statements said by losers. Keep that in mind. Don't complain. Instead, be the change. Figure out what you need to do to enact the change that changes what you were complaining about 
and the rest of the organization will take note. And if not, that's fine. But slowly people, things and change will change around you. For instance, a lot of this can be brought up with just a simple assertive question. So for instance, if you're if you're the first person that I mentioned in that scenario where you're saying that the project manager is adding too many features after the sprint's locked at the beginning of the week, simply bring it up to him. You would not be surprised how many developers are hesitant to say things to their project project managers. Um, say things, guys. This is part of the communication that we talked about earlier, but there's a little bit more to it. Being assertive is a little bit harder. Um, being assertive is definitely a part of everything earlier we were saying, but it's also a little bit harder because, you know, situations that you have to be assertive are situations where you feel uncomfortable. So you're like, ooh, I don't want to say anything maybe because... Who knows, like uh, there's business reasons why these things get added and, you know, we have to keep moving. And if I say anything, it's kind of obvious anyway, everybody knows. That's fine. Everybody might know, but say it anyway. Be assertive. Come on, stand up and say, you know what, um, you're adding too much to each sprint. And I, I feel as though if we did an experiment next week, always lead with solution. Huge thing, guys, lead with the solution. I was, you know, say something like, I was just thinking next week if we could try an experiment where we didn't add any features to the sprint um, during the sprint, I believe that the hypothesis is that we would get the, the features that we've scoped out at the beginning of the sprint done. And if you try that as an experiment, tell the project manager if there is anything critical, that's fine. But if it's not super critical, go ahead and toss in the backlog at the top. And then if it doesn't work, next sprint, we'll switch right back. It's just an experiment. If, it, if this sprint, it doesn't work, next week, boom, back to the way it was. And the project manager is totally happy with that. Next week, show him exactly how that solution works. And keep in mind, this is an experiment. You can be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. In fact, if, an empl- if a development team member comes up to me and says, hey, I, you know, I had this thought for this experiment. We're, trying, we're doing this process and it involves pivotal you know, blah, blah, blah. There's people doing QA in this way. And I was just wondering if next sprint, we could try an experiment where QA happens in this different way. Maybe it all is done through pivotal tickets and comments. I'm going to say, let's try that. Like nobody is going to look down on you for offering enthusiastic experiments, like for the love of God, like even so. So here's the thing to keep in mind. Project managers and product managers are very cognizant of the following statement. A toxic process leads to a toxic team environment. So they are very hesitant when a web developer comes to them and says, hey, I was looking at this thing or I want to modify our process. I have these graphs and I want to change how we do this or that. A project manager will be hesitant because they don't want to add or enable a toxic environment. And process is very important. It sounds boring and dry, but it's very important. And it can suck if it's not done right. It can be great if it's done right. But you want to always approach them and say things like, this is an experiment. You know, um, for instance, we work with a somewhat decently sized team if you include all of the different teams that we interact with. And one time we decided as a completely outlandish experiment, we wanted to try Basecamp 3. Like we don't use Basecamp. We We are completely in a sort of sprint cycle and Basecamp doesn't work that way, but we were like, you know what? For a week, let's try it. Somebody brought it up to me, um, and I could have said, "Whoa, no!" You know, like we're in a sprint cycle that doesn't work. Like Basecamp isn't set up that way. But he simply said, "Let's try this experiment," and I was like, "Done." 
experiment for a week. And so we got all set up on Basecamp, fully set up for the week, you know, got the discussions going through their discussion boards. We got the to-dos listed in their to-do section instead of using pivotal tickets and sprints. And then after that, we did that, I think, for three weeks. It actually ended up being kind of cool for the first couple of weeks. We like people were talking in the discussion boards. They loved, you know, being able to, to keep stuff out of email and really use the, the base camp discussions and everybody loved that. But at the end of the day, uh, the, the experiment we concluded was just not for us, like that the product just wasn't right for the environment that we had. So we closed the experiment. We closed the experiment, closed the account, went right back to how we were doing things. And everybody was super stoked that we got to try uh, Basecamp 3. And actually the fun thing is uh, I, I, I like myself am, am like, oh, cool. Like I'm glad I know how Basecamp 3 works. Like I we used it for three weeks full time uh, and I know how it works. That's great. Like I, I'm glad that I had that experience. Nobody is going to hate you for those types of ideas. So, and actually the person that brought brought that up to me, I now look at them differently, right? So as the team lead, that person that brought that up to me, I'm, I view them differently than I did before, right? Because now I view them as somebody that has clearly interesting experiments and ideas. And actually I've, I've approached that person and sent that person emails asking questions. Like, what do you think about this process how could we modify this clearly because you think about this given that you asked us to do an experiment? And this is the way that you kind of level up in life. You got to be willing to do experiments, got to keep learning, got to keep growing, got to keep being assertive and committed and communicative. You got to be all those things. And if you're not any one of those things, it will pull you down. It will pull you down so fast. Um, you don't have to do all of them perfectly. I mean, that's the one thing that I want to iterate. I'm not saying that you have to be a perfect communicator. I'm not, and I struggle with it all the time. You don't have to be a perfect experimenter. For instance, you saw that experiment failed, that Basecamp experiment failed for us. I don't look at that team member and say, whoa, we wasted three weeks. Not at all. Those three weeks were fine. If it was that bad, we would have quit the second day in. But what I do is I look at that team member now with a different enhanced vision of that team member. Like, so... This is really important. Even if you fail, you succeed in business, um, at least as far as experiments go. Because if you don't do experiments in business, then you're not going to do anything at all. So like, for instance, every time a business partners with another company, that's an experiment. Essentially, um, they're, they're assuming certain revenue goals. They're assuming certain things about the companies and the way they'll interact. These are all experiments. And the more you do, the better. So keep that in mind. Okay. So the last topic that I want to run through real quick went a little bit long on that experiment topic, but so the last one is this concept of long-term integrations. So as you guys know, in a company, you will have a bunch of integrations. So you might have an integration with a payment processor, an integration with another uh, startup. But what I specifically want to talk about is team-to-team -team integration across companies. So at a startup, it's very likely that you'll work with another startup. So for instance, here's an example. Let's say you're a startup that doesn't have a ton of infrastructure or scale experience. Like maybe you have one front-end developer. And maybe for some reason you're financially not yet looking for another developer, what you what you could do is you might partner with a company that allows you to build themes or something like that on their infrastructure. And what you're doing there 
is you're leveraging their infrastructure and you're leveraging their development teams. Um, but likely as you build complex applications on their environment, you're going to have to request that they change things. They're going to have to work with you tightly. And if they're really excited about that integration or they're really interested to do that, that'll be something that they do. And, you know, you might be saying, here's a bug I found. Here's a feature request. Can you modify this? I, I want the theme to maybe be able to do this other thing. Or, hey, how do we do this in, in, your, in your environment? And you're going to be doing this a lot. And the... F- you know, I've been in environments where we've done this for years and years. So where we work with a third-party team like this, even as our own internal team grows, we still are working with this other third-party team for years. And, you know, it can be challenging, guys, to to keep up relationships in this way for such a long time. And it, it is challenging for me as well because I think people get burnt out. Um, I really think that's, a, that's something that happens. So especially when you're working across teams, so for instance, if you have the same bugs or the same types of issues that you report frequently and they can't get solved or they're solved in similar ways but not completely solved, what you're seeing is basically a team of like Mr. Right Now's putting patches on things and you're, you're, you're finding that there's still bugs that are being caused and they haven't really found the underlying issue Perhaps they don't have enough Mr. Rights to balance out the Mr. Right Nows. Um, but it's going to be a struggle in that scenario because that team is going to get burnt out on your communicating to them the bugs and you're going to get burnt out on that team not solving the bugs. And if this goes on for a long time, it can be quite toxic. So what I recommend is just being very blunt and honest, having meetings with them, sitting down over Google Hangouts, going to their office, chatting with them, saying, guys, look, you know, I here's the scenario. We've, we've had these bugs. They're in this general area. I feel as though you're patching, but you're not solving the underlying issue. Is there anything that I could do to help you? Is there any logging that I could add to help you solve this? I want to, you know, you could even escalate. So like you might have to escalate sometimes to a a senior member of the team so that the the partner understands that this is like an important issue. One thing though, that you want to keep in mind is if at all possible, build a friendship. So if at all possible, build a friendship with this development partner, Um, you know, chat with them on Slack, like get into their Slack group. I really recommend that Uh, every development partner you have, they should be in your Slack or you should be in their Slack. And if you're the team lead, you should be in all the Slacks. And what you want to do is you want to build some kind of relationship with these people, because here's the thing, every request that's intense, you don't want to have to CC the CEO to get them to do it. So you don't want to have to bring in air cover. That's what we call it in government. Like you don't want to bring in air cover to um, have to force the development partner to want to do something because like, let's pretend they're, you know, they're working on their own things, right? They're in their own sprint cycle, moving at their own speed and you're just kind of pushing tasks onto them. So it's going to be very difficult for them to do it at all. And if it's big or an intensive task, uh, it can be quite challenging. So you don't want to have to resort to bringing in management to kind of force them to do stuff. That is okay to do sometimes, but it can lead to animosity. I, I'm just going to say that. I, I've, I've seen that lead to animosity and on the direction of the receiver of the management pressure. It can lead to animosity. So what you want to do is try to build a friendship where you know you can you can 
you can even if it's an intensive task they understand that you're under pressure and they're under pressure and you can come to some kind of compromise you've got to be willing to go back up to management and say we can't do this right now they're having a crazy sprint um, they're undergoing a lot of database stuff this week. We can't do this right now. You've got to be willing to do the human shielding, right? That's what they kind of call it when your management is is throwing down hundreds of thousands of business requests, like not really, but tens of 20 or 30 business requests at a time. Uh, you got to kind of human shield the development partner sometimes and say, hey, bud, no worries. I got your back. Like, well, let's just come back next week. You know, I, I, I totally get that you're under this pressure with your own sprint. We'll come back next week. Uh, hit me up if you have any issues or, you know, you want to chat th- through anything. That's how you can be maximally effective. Because what you're doing there is you're building a relationship, you're building a further partnership, you're building business relationships as well. You're building literally the communication between two businesses and also you're you're allowing them to do what they need to do such that they can later allow you to do what you need to do. So it's maximal leverage. So that's good. At that time though, it's hard because you gotta go back up to management and say all those 20 business requirements that you threw down, we gotta stop, we can't do it yet. They're working on something and I'm sorry, but guys, we just can't do it. You gotta block, you gotta like be the block. And oftentimes you'll hear uh, managers talk about this with development. So like a good manager, you might have heard like a quote, um, like a good manager is somebody that can um, kind of remove obstacles. I think that's kind of like a common quote from developers or like whoever they're managing. And that's kind of true. One way that you remove obstacles is by a human shield. I mean, like you literally human shield in front of the CEO and like stop them from screaming at the engineer and instead scream at you. That's human shielding. You got to be human shield. Uh, a, you got to be a human shield. And here's the thing. The manager is not going to be upset at you. So here, so if you cause a bug in production that's so bad that the CEO wants to, it's not fireable, right? Like, let's be realistic. I mean, you're not going to get fired for every bug that you cause. But l- the CEO gets pissed, right? Because it's their baby and you're losing maybe $10,000 a minute for every time a user can't sign up or something. There's so many people signing up. So what will happen is the manager, your manager will step into the line of fire and will receive the brunt or all of the vi- of the anger from the CEO. Um, and he will, and, and the manager will likely say things like, I'm gonna tell, you know, don't worry, I'm gonna tell the developer everything you're saying. So he'll say things like that to get the, man- the CEO to, to really express himself and fully, you know, release all the steam. But the, the, that manager won't probably say any of that to you. And that's a good manager. He'll say things like, he might come to you and be like, hey, I got chewed out pretty bad. Like, you know, actually a good manager probably wouldn't say that. But, you know, they might come to you and express that the CEO wasn't upset and they kind of stood in the line of fire for you. But they won't like look down on you. Instead, a good manager will be like, you know what, I just kind of, that's that's my job, dude. Like, I'm going to stand there in the line of fire because I believe in you. It works really well if the manager believes in you. So if you're a good developer and you've consistently executed and performed well or even performed mediocrely, they'll, they'll be stoked because they'll be like, okay, I did my job. Like, I stood in the line of fire for you and now you don't have to have that cognitive load. You don't have to have that pressure and stress. You can just go ahead and do your job and it's fine. So no biggie. Um, so you really got to do that, guys, at every level of the stack. So if you're if you're one step above another front end developer, one step above another back end developer, and one developer gets, you know, you got to stand in the line of fire for your comrades. Like you got to do that. 
that's one way that you can um, sort of further these processes. And we kind of went on a tangent there, I feel like, because we were talking about partners and, and other companies. Standing in the line of fire is important there as well. And sort of the last tip that I'll give for long-term integrations is you really have to think of it like a marriage. I know this sounds ridiculous, but if you're if you're planning on doing a long, long-term integration with somebody, you really need to think about it like a marriage. You need to make sure the infrastructure is fully set up and ready to handle it. Do you have the webhooks? Do you have the whatever you needs? Uh, the service classes? Do you have everything ready to go? Do you have documentation? That's big. Do you have proper documentation? Maybe you're on the receiving end of a partnership and they're looking to partner with you. Do you have documentation on your API? Do you have all the things that you need to do laid out properly? Do you have the authentication methods laid out? Like what do you not have in place that will cause stress or confusion for this other partner? Um, make sure you get all that done. And then another actionable thing would be make sure that you go ahead and meet with that development partner um, at least three times staggered throughout the first three months of their partnership. You want to make sure that everything's going smoothly and get them in Slack. Uh, make sure you have all their emails. Um, get them in Slack. If you, that's probably enough, but definitely have those video chats, video calls, and, and or go to their office if you're nearby. Really sort of sit down with them and say, is everything going well? How can I help you? Or if you're on the, um, if you're not on the receiving end, if you're on the, if you're on the requesting end of a partnership, you might sit down and ask questions. You might be like, hey, I can't figure this out. You know, um, do you have this feature? How do you do this? How do you do that? Make sure that you read their documentation though. Don't ask questions that are listed in their docs. That's a quick way to burn somebody out. Make sure you read through their docs before you ask questions. I mean, you know, I, I've myself gotten a little bit burned out from that, people asking questions in that way. Now, I, you know, and you always love to help, right? So it's not a big deal, but it's just one of those things. Um, so I think that about wraps it up. We're about 50 minutes in here, and I wanted to make sure I left you guys with tons of actionable information about teamwork, working in teams, leading teams, or just leading individuals on teams, and integrations, both long-term, short-term, how to go ahead and get started with those. I, I hope we covered enough uh, to get at least one golden egg or one gem out of this conversation. Uh, and again, earlier, I really think the gym, if you don't get anything else out of this, if you're not in a team environment, you're working on your own as a freelancer and you're not doing any integrations, the one thing that you can get out of this is Mr. Right versus Mr. Right Now. Which one are you? How do you be more opposite? Um, and if you have questions about this, please let me know. I, I love to hear from you guys. So my email is miller.dain, D-A-I-N, at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Dane Miller, D-A-I-N-M-I-L-L-E-R. And you can find the Start Here FM account on Twitter. That's active as well. So Start Here FM on Twitter. Um, and again, the website where we're putting all of these SoundCloud links is dane.io slash Start Here FM. Just to round this off and put a bow on everything, the show notes are coming. Uh, I'm going to put show notes in all of the backlogged episodes. And probably by the time this is live, they will be there. So if you just go to dane.io slash startherefm, you can click on every single audio track on SoundCloud and for all of our shows. And if you click on it on the SoundCloud page for that audio track, there will be the show notes right there. And they'll be ready for you to use and ready for you right away. Cool. So thanks, guys, and see you next time. Bye.